Hey, welcome back to Miserable and Reckless. This is our very special New Year's Eve edition. As always, I'm Logan sitting here with Ryan, Dustin, and Morgan, and I'm going to kick it over to Ryan to introduce our special guest for New Year's Eve. Yeah, we're sitting here today with Phil Kaminsky. Um, he's a good friend of, of, of mine, and uh, he's a founding member, chief songwriter of a popular DC-based band, The Lloyd Dobler Effect. He's out on his own now with putting out a solo album this, uh, this year that's already out now as well. Um, toward the world, uh, Japan, Singapore, Afghanistan, Djibouti, UAE, Guam, <laughs> the list goes on. Uh, <laughs> most of the 50 states, including Hawaii, open for a whole ton of famous musicians like Eminem, Goo Goo Dolls, Santana, Third Eye Blind, Steve Winwood, Dropkick Murphys. Uh, 3,000 shows from venues um, that are really small to as large as the RFK Stadium. Uh, he's been on two labels, owns a booking and events agency, freestyle booking and events teaches guitar, coaches swimming, is a live in-studio sound engineer, uh, has written over 200 songs, released 18 albums, and uh, most importantly, uh, and most impressively, spent his college years in Wilmington at UNCW. <laughs> uh, he defected to Maryland in his senior year. So, <laughs> Phil, is there anything you haven't done? <laughs> a lot of things, yeah. I, I'm yet to work at a CVS pharmacy, but that's on the list. So I figure when I retire, that's going to be the job. Yeah. Where we all <laughs> awesome well hey welcome to the podcast thanks for coming on hey, it's, it's an honor to be here especially on new year's eve this is awesome this is great yeah you guys are doing a great thing here and uh, i know you've got a bright future ahead of you you know and i mean i don't know about ryan or ryan i would say i guess ryan's probably you know, okay to have long you know <laughs> he's riding the coattails <laughs> carpet carpet bagger I know way back with this guy. <laughs> Damn, carpet baggers. <laughs> I was listening to you, and it all sounds so nice when you lay it out so quickly like that. I'm like, maybe I have done some things, some accomplishments in my life. But, you know, it's, it's you think about some of these acts when you play with them, these famous people, and you say Eminem. I did one show with him, and uh, all I got to see was his dressing room. And uh, he had some amazing things. Like he had things in his rider, like I have to have, you know, three pairs of shoes, brand new, some certain kind. And they were there laid out in the boxes. He had all the food he needed. And it was, I was like, this is nice. And this was about the time when he had, I think maybe his second album it was right before that Eight Mile movie came out. Mm -hmm. So he was blowing up all over the place. Um, and it was part of a festival that we were part of. So, you know, that, that was the one time. I'll remember he came in with his entourage. Uh, it was at RFK Stadium, the old RFK in D.C., and uh, they literally brought in a limo and he had 20 security guards in front, 20 in back. And you already had the security from the stadium there. So it was just the extra entourage. And, you know, he got out, went right to his dressing room. And it was within the first minute you heard this music like so loud being blasted. And it was his own music. And he was blasting it for like a half hour. I guess he was getting ready to go on stage or, or getting hyped up. But, uh, yeah, and that was it. That was what I saw. Next thing I knew, he was on stage. And half of his performance was him on the mic like, yo, DC, back up, back up. Because people were going nuts. You know, there's like 65,000 people at this stadium. And, and he was, he's, you know, he's, he's always been hot. He's a super impressive, talented, awesome musician. But, uh, but yeah, he was, I just remember every song he'd get through like 20 seconds. And he was like, back up. There's people in front. Back up. So, <laughs> That's interesting. I mean, uh, the Goo Goo Dolls, you mentioned them. We did Virginia Beach with them once, uh, day before I got engaged. Um, and my wife never lets me live it down because she's like, you could have done it on stage before the Goo Goo Dolls. You waited till the next day when no one was around. <laughs> <I> was like, <laughs> Good like, for her. Those guys, those guys were, it was awesome. They flew in from, I think, California. 
All right, they had their whole sound crew do their tech checks and everything. We did our spot, got off. They rolled in like 10 minutes after we got off, went to the tent. One guy had a beer. They went right on stage. They played their like 12 hits right off stage, back in the airplane, gone. Not, no high, nothing. And I was like, that's amazing that that can be a life, you know? It's pretty cool. Um, and then other people are just more down to earth. Uh, some bands that were kind of popular, I guess, touring-wise, a couple thousand people, like those ones seem to be nice. Uh, bands we used to play with a lot, like uh, Carbon Leaf locally were pretty popular. Uh, Virginia Coalition, very nice guys. Um, the Samples, you know, I, I used to really like them. They were kind of popular in the 90s. And uh, they really had much of a hit, but they would draw people. And, and some of these people were the ones that I found were like salt of the earth and they'd talk to you. Um, some of the bigger ones, though, they, I don't think they would mean to be that way, but they just were. I mean, you got to imagine you've had hits, you've been on MTV back in the day when they played videos, um, mm-hmm. and you've done all these things. And so when you go to just do a show, it's, it's to you, it's like it's a job. I got to get it done. I'm going to do this. There's different opening acts all the time. I'll be polite, but, you know. I'm not going to really strike up a conversation. And other people want to talk. They want to be there. They want to get to know you. They want to know the town. And, you know, it's, it's all respectable either way, you know, as long as the show goes well, I think. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's I, I tend to agree with that. Like the artists that you said, like you said, that kind of like that, where they play the club circuit, where they draw anywhere from like a few hundred to a, a couple thousand. My mm-hmm. experience with those artists have been very different because like I've interviewed some of them on my, I have a country music podcast called Country and Cold Cans and I've like interviewed a lot of people down in Texas. They're always so like down to earth. Like for instance, uh, Rhett Miller of Old 97s was like the nicest yeah. person in the world when like when mm-hmm. I, I interviewed him, it was a cool experience. So, um, but who was probably your favorite person that you played with that you, uh, you had a good experience with? Sure. Um, well, actually, one of my favorites wasn't a good experience. Uh, it was I, I became a fan uh, maybe like 20 years ago of Colin Hay. He was the uh, lead singer of Men at Work in the 80s, and he's mm-hmm. done a elaborate solo career. Um, I, you know, he had a song in the Garden State, and uh, he was in Scrubs and things like that. Mm-hmm. But I, a couple of his albums I really enjoyed. And um, I was excited because we got a chance to open for him in Baltimore. So I was already a fan. And I was playing up to the guys in my old band. I said, guys, you're going to love this guy. He's so funny. He's like a comedian on stage, X, Y, and Z. And I, for like months, I was like, it may not be our music, but you're going to like it because he's a showman. He's fun. You know, and he'll talk and do comedy and then do a show. And so we get there. You know, we sound check and everything. And right after sound check, he goes out to his tour bus. You know, we hadn't talked to him yet, but he, the door shuts behind him and he can't get back in. And the security guy is, doesn't let him in. He's like, he's like, no, 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 you have to have a pack, right? And he starts to, I mean, he's like 50, 60 years old. He's, he's just losing his mind. He's like, are you kidding me? It's my stuff on stage, mate. You know? And he's like, what? <laughs> and that's a terrible Scottish accent. But. So um, he, uh, you know, he got really mad. He eventually gets back in. And I'm walking through the back hallway just after he gets in with uh, my old bass player. And my old bass player, super, super nice guy, this guy Patrick. And he, uh, he, walks, he walks down and he sees him. And he's like, oh, I'm going to say hi to this guy. He goes, Pat, would, he'd say hi to everybody. Super great guy. And um, he goes up to him and he's like, hey, Colin, how you doing? Colin walks right by him and goes, piss off. <laughs> so, so we were kind of laughing we're like all right whatever you know we go backstage and we do our we did our show it's fine and uh when colin's band goes on all he does is talk it like it ruined his whole experience the whole night he couldn't get over it and it was like a thousand people there not a whole lot of people but he's on the stage in between every song he's like well it's great to be here in baltimore 
almost wasn't here. You know, just putting in these little jazz <laughs> <up and right. laughs> There was no talking like I'd seen before from him. He was just down. And, and you know, the whole, my whole band, they're all like, uh, Phil, <laughs> what are you talking about? This guy is like obnoxious. So that was, it was a fun memory for me for that. Um, what I liked a lot is, is, more, more like regional acts that would tour, used to tour this back in the day. Cause those guys, I would always find something new and fun about them. Plus they, they had to be on the road. That was their bread and butter. So they really enjoyed it. I mean, they would connect with their fans. They'd sit around and sign autographs and talk about their music with them. And so, so actually, like I mentioned before, like the guys in, in uh, Carbon Leaf and the guys in Virginia Coalition, um, Pat McGee from Richmond, um, mm-hmm. trying to think of, you mentioned uh, the old 97s. They're, I mean, I know they're they're big in Texas. We did we did a show once. Um, this is a funny one. You'll know this guy, I'm sure. Uh, Pat Green. Oh yeah, you, yeah. You so we did a show at Record Theater in Baltimore with him, and and I remember this was years and years ago. Uh, my the band I had version of the band I had then had this great violinist in it who I'm playing with again now. This kid Javier Godina is a great kid, and um, he and I were hanging out in the back, and we we did our we did our sound check and. He wasn't back with his band. And the guy, owner of the theater came up to us and said, guys, could you do like an extra half hour? Because we don't know where he went. He did sound check and disappeared. So we, <laughs> we played an extra half hour no problem. You know, and his fans, like, they don't, they don't really care to see us. We were kind of a rock band, but they dealt with us. They were nice enough. You know, nobody got anything thrown at them. We get off stage and he doesn't come back for another hour. And these fans are like, what is going on? He went to go see a movie. <laughs> he went to see the movie. Like, I don't even know what it was. It's like a two hour and a half movie. And he went right after his sound check and he was supposed to be on in like 90 minutes. And, you know, whatever. He gets on stage. And I was like, that's so cool. It's so Axl Rose like. Yeah. Like, same time. I mean, it's funny, man. I mean, there's been some crazy stuff. But yeah, these, these, these bands, I mean, the bigger ones, the bigger acts, they're all different. None of them are the same. Like I said, some are super nice and some are, you know, doing their own thing, I guess. What venue did you play? Get answer to your question. Sorry. What venue did you play down in Texas? With, with Pat Green. What, what, Pat, well, Pat Green played up here in Baltimore with us in Maryland, where we are. Okay. Uh, but in Texas, we played a lot. we would go do a lot of colleges down there. Uh, we used to do these showcases for these things called uh, NACA and NAPCA, and they were the campus uh, activities boards from different schools would join us. They do you get in to do these showcases, and you do a fifteen minute thing, and then you it was like a trade convention. You go and have a booth. And you talk to all the kids and try and sell up your material. And then you get them to book you for their spring flings or like for some afternoon concert series they had. So what we would do is we would book, pick up like 20 or 30 of those from each one. And then we would do clubs at night because the clubs, you were a lot of times playing for door or small guarantee. So if you did both, you could do all right on the road if you sold merchandise. So we would go, you know, we would play in Austin and then we'd go out to like Dallas and Arlington and scoot our way over to like Odessa. Um, I think we did Tyler, Texas a couple times. They flew us in. We went to El Paso, <laughs> played a show there at a place called Lucky Devils to one person. And then we took our lives in our hands and wandered into Juarez for some ungodly reason. And, and <laughs> we went down to Juarez and I'll never forget. Here's a story I'm going to have to kind of clean up here. We went down and I remember this guy, somehow our, our old percussion player befriended this guy named Johnny, <laughs> Johnny, and, and he starts showing us around the town of Juarez like a, uh, like a tour guide, and everything's like the same, like you've got these, these sidewalks that have holes in them, 
random chickens wandering everywhere and little shops, right? He takes us like a half mile into the city. And I'm not thinking, like, you know, we didn't have Sicario yet, and you didn't have the news like you did now, but it was still a pretty rough city. It's probably not as bad as now, but it was rough. And we're going around, and somehow he takes us to a brothel, like called Pink Lady, <laughs> right? And mind you, like, like two or three of us are married. Nobody has to go there, but I'm thinking, he's thinking, well, these Americans wandering into Mexico, they probably want to go to this place. <laughs> At first, I'm thinking it's a bar. We sit down, bring us drinks, and, you know, I'm like, okay. And then they bring, like, these ladies in. And I was like, oh, my God. So I was like, I got I hopped out. And slowly, one by one, the guys from my band started wandering out. And they're like, wow. And the guy who brought us there was very upset. You know, he starts walking us back to the border. And he's just mad, mad. And he keeps mentioning to us, it's time to pay Johnny. It's time to pay Johnny. And I was like, what? You know, and, and one of the other guys in the band was like, I'm not giving this guy a dime. And I was like, hey, yeah, you are. We're in Juarez. We're paying this guy. We're paying him at least five bucks, you know? I mean, nobody wanted to be there. Nobody, but we ended up there. He's mad. He, we're just getting back to America. So, yeah, I mean, um, you know, that was that, you know? And we ended up, I think I ended up covering for the other band member because I was like, dude, just keep your mouth shut. It's fine. Getting out of here. <laughs> yeah, back, to Texas. back to glorious Texas and played a couple more shows and back home. <laughs> well, that, that was probably your, maybe one of your <clears throat> funny, but least favorite experiences. Is there a favorite uh, city, not just in Texas, but uh, across the country that just stands out every time you went, you were like, this is, this is my place. Uh, and, and it's going to sound weird, but I mean, the towns that I had had good experiences in where I'd either lived or visited, I used to love to go play. I mean, I loved playing Wilmington because when we would go down there, I had been removed from it for several years. So it was a little bit nostalgic for me to see how Cape Fear had changed or what was going on on the shore. Um, and I would always try and stay there longer, like play a show or two and then say, hey, why don't we hang out here another day or two and then we'll go somewhere else. So I loved that. Um uh, you know, the Outer Banks, I, I used to go there a lot as a kid. So when we would play at the old Kelly's or the brewing station or the pit when it was around, it was always fun. The port of call. Um, uh, I used to, I'm trying to think like we, most things to answer that question, a lot of times we'd make a good memory playing a place and then it would just be fun. You'd look forward to returning. We had a place in Indianapolis. We play a lot and, and I'm still good friends with the owner. It's a really nice venue there called the Rat Skeller. Uh, I always look forward to playing there. Uh, we had a place up in the UP of Michigan called the Upfront and Company, which was a great place. So really, you would end up enjoying the town based upon your experience at a, one or two previous shows. And then you'd look forward to returning because we'd make friends with people in the towns. And then when they came out again, it was nice. And it was super nice to see people singing things that you wrote. Like that's an experience that I'll always enjoy. Like if you created something and other people are, are appreciating it and, and singing it back to you when you're playing, it's, it's a really cool experience. Even if it's one person, you know, you're like, wow, this guy likes it enough. Something I did. That's nice. You know? Yeah. And I appreciate the heck out of that. Yeah. Well, follow up with uh, Dustin. Is there a place that you prefer not to play as much or not go to ever again? <laughs> uh, well, and this is going to sound weird. Um, I don't know. I mean, again, like I always try and find the good in places. Um, yeah. It could be like the worst club ever, 
But if there's three people there that enjoy it, then it kind of changes things big time. I know we've had bad experiences with people who were either, you know, we, we would have a situation here or there where we deal with like racism because we had members in the band who, who you know, weren't white uh, here and there. And sometimes we go to places and towns that were a little bit backwards in that regard. Yeah. And it was a real issue for members in the band. So things like that, I can remember here and there, but that isn't really indicative of the town or the place, just one person, you know? Um, I, I've definitely played places where I felt sorry for the town. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the college, a couple colleges in, uh, in some parts of, of Georgia um, when we would showcase. And, you know, and there's a lot of beautiful places. Georgia plays Savannah and Atlanta all the time and some other schools and things. But um, we did some just small, small schools, really small, uh, out in the middle of just wherever, small town Georgia. And I remember, I think there was like three in a row um, maybe about a hundred miles within a hundred mile radius of each other. And I can't remember their names, but they were very polite. The shows are okay. There are a couple of people at them, but afterwards they would, you know, sometimes these student activity boards would take you out to eat uh, dinner with them and we would go and it would always be fine. But then we talked to them and we'd say, what, what are the big things to do here? What do you guys like to do? And the answer at almost all three of them was, well, we like to go to the Walmart on Friday nights. <laughs> <laughs> You, know, you, you kind of chuckle. You're like, oh, yeah, sure. And then they're just dead face. Like, seriously. Like, what we do. And they meant it. And I was like, that's what you really? They, really? And that's it. They would go. Literally, I saw it. I went with them on one time, one of the schools. We went to the Walmart and walked up and down the aisles. And they would talk about things they like. And that was what they had. I mean, they had a Dollar General, a Walmart, and like, I think like a, like a plucky chicken or something and they had the school and there was yeah. kids i mean it was a little bit bigger than my high school class so uh, at the same time i'm like well this is good i mean you know we're getting an education things are going on but if, if they were happy with that i'm like that's yeah. great but i feel like man when you get out in the world you're going to be loving everything because there's a lot more than walmart to hang out at you know so i've never had a place where like i've just been like this is awful I've been like, this is dangerous, whereas yeah. parts of Detroit, parts of, parts of Baltimore are near me. But, but I mean, um, <laughs> you know, uh, I, I, I think there's a lot of good in the bad is what I've seen, you know? Gotcha. I, I appreciate that. It's a good perspective, especially in a year where uh, people have had a lot of complaints about the way the year has gone and you're just trying to look at the, the positive. I mean, given way 2020 is gone is there what do you miss is is it playing shows or something else that you miss most about just kind of the the life we've led for the past you know nine nine ten months well i mean i think and you know just truthfully like from my heart like i think you first think about people who are actually getting sick out there and people who who are having a harder time than fortunately i and my family have been okay um but uh so i always try and keep that on the top of my mind but for me personally yeah it's, it's i went from a life of doing every past 21 years or so playing shows pretty frequently throughout the year as a source of income. Um, I mean, I'm, a, I'm a, a booking agent as well, and I do a lot of studio work, but you know, one tends to kind of correlate with the other. Um, so things would drop off. And, and these days I do a lot of things uh, for, for weddings too. So you know, I own things like photo booths and uplighting, and uh, I book DJs and bands and things. So those almost, I'd say 99% of them have either canceled or been postponed. So that disappeared. And then the whole live performance thing, um, 
as you know, is, is mostly gone. There's some small wineries and little pickup things here and there. But every time something starts to get planned, a, a concert series, you take a step back. And it's impossible to get upset about it because we're all in the same boat, obviously, and we're all dealing with birthday. So you just keep trying to be productive. I've, I've been doing lots of recording work on my own and writing, and I think that's a good way to do it. But then I try to help people whenever we can too. So, if, you know, we've had people who say like, my dad's sick and likes this artist or my parents are having an anniversary and I didn't, you know, I got laid off. So I don't, so could you do a version of their song? I'm like, of course, you know, so we'll, my wife and I will do, um, we'll record it and do a little video for them and put pictures of their, their family members in it and oh, things cool. like that. It's, it's not, those things aren't that hard when you've done them a lot, you know, it, it might take a day but it's not like it takes a week. <laughs> right. Yeah. So more than happy to help if we can, you know. So you said you've been doing a lot of uh, writing. Like, so one thing I've always been fascinated with with artists is like the songwriting process. Do you do a lot of like solo writing or is it co-writing or what is the songwriting process for you? Sure. Uh, well, when I was with the band that, that I had started and was part of my life for like 20 years, and this was only until about a year and a half ago, um, we would do a lot of collaborative writing. I tended to, tended to write uh, all the lyrics uh, and a good portion of the music, but a lot of the inspiration from it would come from when we were hanging out together and maybe the drummer would play a certain groove and you would say, oh, that's nice. Uh, here, let's jam on a chord structure here. And what I would like to do you'd get like a, the basic of the song laid down. Maybe you'd be missing the bridge or the chorus or something, but you had a good groove for it. You'd record it with a little microphone or something cheesy, take it home and kind of get it in your head. And then you'd think of a melody that goes on top. And for me, I, would, I always like to write the music first and have a melody and then build the lyrics off of that. Uh, it's just easier because I feel like I can get more into what's going on with the music and what I feel like the song should be about based from that. And I always try to never edit myself during the process of creating. So, you know, you might have the worst lyrics in the world, but it's making sense rhythmically and uh, it just, you can hum it or whatever. And then you'll go back afterwards and revise and revise more. And then maybe I'll ask my, may, this is a big maybe, maybe I'll ask my wife because I know half the time she's going to be like, oh, that's no bad. Cause she's, she's an English teacher and she'll be yeah. like, no, this is a cliche. That is a cliche. And so, so I have to be like, I have to really be ready for her when I bring them to her. And I will, I'll be like, okay, look at it. And she'll give me some suggestions and it'll be good. And some of them all, I, I won't take just because I like something else. But then even then it's not until you go to record it usually that you have a, a sort of finished product. Um, and even then I, I think it was Sting. I used to be a big fan of Sting and he used to always say that it's, the the recording process when it's on the album and it's out that's kind of just the beginning and then you take it out live and you build it up more and change it and he's like when a tour would finish i would have an almost different song from what i started because i wanted the sax player to play something different or be free and let me change the drum groove and then i started singing it differently so i like that approach uh but as far as i'd say 99 percent of the lyrics are done when you're finished on the microphone and, um so yeah, that's how I do it. I know a lot of people like to write lyrics first, uh, and then they put music to it from there. But I've always found that very hard because of the rhythm of it and the and stuff. Oh, cool. Hey, so Phil, I know this a little bit because um, you talked about it, but I know each song that you wrote on the new album this year, um, self-titled album on the website. You've got different going off of what Logan just asked, right? You've got all these different lyrics. And you've written kind of extensively about what each song means and, and, and what it meant to you and kind of putting it all together. Um, 
uh, is there a song that you wrote that it doesn't have to be off the new album, but is there a song that you wrote that has carried you more than others, like through this year, through like the challenges and trials of this year, or is there, if it's not something that you necessarily wrote, um, is there a song that, uh, somebody else wrote that's kind of carried you through or like given you a little bit of a boost? Uh, let's see stuff from this year. You know, a lot of times I, I find I have artists from when, when I was a kid that I just tend to keep following even though they put out like 10 albums and haven't done anything, you know, that nobody's listening to them anymore. <laughs> but um, there's a, I think at the beginning of the year, Beck put out a new album. Um, and uh, I, I liked a lot of that. It was kind of spacey. I feel like he does an album that's like kind of like upbeat and like in someone's face, kind of like dance music. And then he does a really spacey kind of mellow album. And I, I appreciate that. So he had some good stuff on there uh, from my album. Um, I, I, I haven't gotten sick of songs on it yet. I don't listen to it that often, um, but uh, there's a couple songs that I, I, I really like the way they turned out. There's a, there's an instrumental on it called The Question Room that I thought ended up pretty neat. And it wasn't what I was expecting when I started recording it. Uh, a song called Stars that, that I really like, and I'm trying to figure out how to sing it live because the chorus is pretty high. <laughs> Probably <laughs> transposing it down as I get older. Um, I know you mentioned me once that you like all those yesterdays. That's a that's a good song because it's really easy to play live. That's <laughs> uh, only a couple chords, um, so that's a fun one. We did that with our with our new band, The Breakaways. We did a little um, uh, virtual four song concert in my backyard for uh, uh, to raise some money for Clarendon and Virginia's uh, stores down there. They were having some trouble, so we were part of this fundraiser and we did that as one of them live, and it turned out okay. Um, so so yeah, I mean. Uh, from new artists this year, my daughter really likes Taylor Swift. Um, <laughs> and she's done two, I mean, she, say what you will about the girl, but she is, uh, beyond the pop stuff, she's a very good songwriter, you know, and she's, she writes some nice stuff and gets in front of just a guitar. It's, I really appreciate it. So I hear a lot of stuff kind of secondhand from her in her room. Um, and every now and then I'm like, oh, that's a nice song. You know, I mean, I, I think that the Cardigan song that was a hit recently is a surprise to me because... It's it's a mellow, really nice kind of song, and you wouldn't expect it to be as big of a hit or as popular as it is. It just doesn't sound like. I mean, you hear "Shake It Off" and you expect that, you know. It's like, right. pop. but this was a little different. So I I, I think it's neat when when the, something kind of like that pops up, you know, in your phone. Um, I I guess it's it's been a it's been a rough year for a lot of people, but a creative year for people in music who have found time to to do a lot more than they normally would, you know. So so that's nice. Um, I uh, I worked a little bit this year uh, with a, a studio engineer locally uh, named Jarrett Nicolay, and he's um, he has a project called uh, My New Mixtape, and it's pretty cool. I just got into his stuff with that. Um, there's a lot of neat stuff. So yeah, I, I, I think that, um, oh, you know, another one, this guy, uh, Manny Adi, who's another musician I used to work with a lot, and he's done some cool stuff. He's up in uh, Vermont, so he's been releasing singles a lot. It's interesting to see, because you'll look back the first last 10 years, and these people, some of these people weren't putting out anything. But then the, the pandemic happens, and all of a sudden, it's like, hey, single, single, single. And it's <laughs> yeah. nice. Like, look at that. All right, I get to hear you now. And wow, you got a lot of stuff. So being creative and doing so, I think it's a, it's important, you know. Did I answer your question? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you did, you did, and uh, I'll I'll mention that that Jarrett is from your aforementioned uh, Virginia Coalition buddies. So that's right, that's right. And you know they still they're still around. They still do some shows uh, here and there. But he's uh, he definitely does a lot of other things. He's, he's very involved in music. He's a he's a talented guy. 
So there's a, there's a small story there. Um, I, similar to how you were talking up uh, Colin Hay with the band members, I was talking it up, talking it up, talking it up because they put, uh, Vaco played a show at the Hamilton, which is in downtown DC and it was their new year's Eve show. So it's topical. And uh, this is probably like two or three years ago at this point in time. And I was so, so pumped. I got tickets. They were way expensive. Uh, I brought my now wife to the show and I'm like, no, 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 no. This is going to be so awesome. This is going to be so awesome. This is going to be so great. This is going to be, we get in, we're about four, we're about four songs in. And I turned to her, I'm like, aren't these guys awesome? And she's like, yeah, they're okay. Um, like, can I, uh, can I go like grab, she's like super into EDM and other stuff. So I'm not trying to drag her here publicly, but she wasn't her cup of tea. And I was just, I was just crestfallen. <laughs> I got it. I got to tell you a quick story like that. So, uh, well, first of all, I, I don't know how, are you allowed to tell me her age? How old is she? I don't know. Is she, is she like your age? You're going to put me on just the spot. <laughs> I, think she's, I think she's 33. <laughs> Okay, so she, well, I don't mean like, I mean, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm 42, I'm an old man. So, <laughs> um, but, uh, but I wonder if, you know, there was a time like in, in the thousands, early thousands, early thousands, I don't even know what to call it, you know, early thousands where like they were just super popular touring band and people would go and just really enjoyed it, you know, in the area. So some people, I think when they you come a little bit after a band was really doing things, it's kind of like, mm-hmm. you know. I, but like you said, she's in the EDM, you know, you can get, she might like my new mixtape. There's some cool electronic stuff and what he does with that. So branch her off, you know, Ryan, branch her off. <laughs> I brought, guys, you know, you're familiar with the 80s band Asia? Remember Heat of the Moment, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, so there were a couple guys that are in like Yes and some other bands. I was a huge fan because of my older brother, you know, was into them when they were popular and stuff. And uh, I just became ridiculously into this band like and so on my anniversary they were doing a reunion tour like 2008 or something they come to the Birchmere in Virginia and if they were coming on my anniversary my wife has nothing to do with progressive rock she's like this is video game music I don't know how you listen to it you know (laughs) all this stuff I love like Rush and Pink Floyd and you know yes she's like nope she's like sorry this is I feel like I'm playing the NES and um so anyway, it was a, an, an amazing show of love and support that she bought two tickets for me to go see Asia with her on her anniversary. And we go down to the Birchmere, right? They get on stage and uh, it's like every guy in there, that's there. most people were like married or just single guys there. Not a whole lot of single women at an Asia show, okay? And, um, and so we're all there and all the guys, they come on stage, we're all like, yeah, you know, the song we're pumping. And we, I look around and every woman was there like, <laughs> everyone, but not everyone was like the wife it was like they were doing the same exact thing and i was like wow this is amazing <laughs> you know? so yeah oh, i can relate ryan i understand you know yeah whatever young lady ends up being un- unfortunate enough to marry me is gonna have lots of eye rolls with my very distinct music taste <laughs> i'm really into like independent uh like uh roots rock and, and country music down in like texas and oklahoma and things like that things that aren't necessarily the most popular stuff so uh, I, I have a long future ahead of me of, of dra- uh, having to drag someone to a show <laughs> you never know you might meet that one that shares that taste with you <laughs> hey, fingers crossed. 
You know what you find out though, and I don't know if Ryan, if you share this sentiment or any, anyone else here does, but what I've found is my wife will get into some musician and when I'm around her, I'm like, oh God, what is this? this guy sounds terrible. He sounds like a weasel. I don't know what they're singing about. I don't know why you like this. But then when I'm not around her and I'm talking to other people in the music world, I'm like, oh yeah, have you checked out this band? You know, they're, they're pretty good. You know, it's like one of those things. Your wife or your friend, you know, that about something they like because you, you trust them. But then when you're around, they're like, "Oh, I'm gonna be caught dead listening to this." For you there, that's how it works. That's how it works with us on this podcast too. When it comes to like sports and music and whatever, it's like, "Oh yeah, yeah, that person, that person you like, yeah, they're terrible." And then as soon as you turn around, and as soon as you turn around and they're not around, it's like actually NC State's probably a pretty good football team. <laughs> Some good things about them. Well, my my uh, my my newer bands uh, and and I have a pretty good relationship with the Washington Nationals. So when when baseballs in, we end up doing a lot a lot of uh, performances before their shows throughout the year. And um, the last year, the year they won the World Series was an amazing year because we did opening day, and then they had us do uh, their seventies day. So we dressed up in all like seventies outfits and played uh-huh. all seventies. And they had us go on the, on the field to play the national anthem, and we were all dressed up like seventy. So there's this video on YouTube of me and another musician that we're, I used to play with on the field, and we're dressed up like in that outfit. And I'm like, God, people watch this, they're gonna think the dude looks like that, you know? I look like Klinger from Nash or something. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> no, it was cool because they would give us all these opportunities. And then when the postseason came up. As they made each round, they would have us do the first home game. And it was great because they would, you know, you would see the crowds just build and build and build up through the World Series. And it was just insane. The The parking in D.C. was just blocked off all around the stadium. I used to have to drive our old van and trailer to drop off the equipment the day before the performance. It would get stored if you, if you see the Washington Nationals outfield, they have that big green W in the center of the outfield. Underneath that is where we would roll in the equipment. And then we, we, I'd have to get there super early, roll it out, set it up, then go back down the trailer, drive it into Crystal City, Virginia, take an Uber back, play the show, break up the equipment, roll it down during the game, which was cool because you'd roll down during the game right out by the outfield and put it under the W like while the second inning's going on. So it's intense, you know? And then you would go back and you could hang out, but then you had to take an Uber back and get the trailer and go back. And then the next day, come back and grab your equipment. So it was a three-day procedure to play, you know, a 90 minute show before the game, but we did it three times and everyone was just magic. You know, it was great. It's just to be there in that atmosphere and hang out. And I was, I'm a huge, huge nationals fan. So I mean, just to, to have that, that experience was pretty awesome. Yeah. The Nats have a, a former NC state player as the short so Trey Turner. He, he was, Trey in, Turner, that's yeah, right. I went to college around the same time as Trey Turner. So we had some good baseball teams uh, back yeah. with the college world series back when he was here. I didn't know that. Wow, that's yeah. awesome, man. That guy's awesome. He hasn't even, in my opinion, come close to showing his potential yet. So he's, he, he'll start to build this past year in the shortened season. He was awesome. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's probably his best year. So he's going to be really great. And he was a steal, the trade we got for him. It was like him and Joe Ross from the Padres for, I don't even remember who we gave up, you know? So that was one of the best baseball trades that I think we've ever been a part of. Yeah. Awesome. See, I'm a, I'm an Atlanta Braves fan. So I want to see Trey Turner do um, well, but I can't really say that I want to see the Nats uh, <laughs> succeed. <laughs> you guys had the nineties. Come on. <laughs> you know, it's a shame though, because I was, uh, I was always rooting for you guys in the nineties. I, I, before that, um, 
I was a Kansas City Royals fan, so every year you didn't even need to see the year. It was awful. They were trash. <laughs> until like, you know, I stopped being a fan of them and it was like two years later, they're in the World Series two years in a row. And I was like, what is going on? <laughs> but I would, in the 90s, I loved your pitcher rotation. I mean, you had Maddox, you had Glavin, you had Smoltz, mm-hmm. and, and it was awesome. So it's a shame you only won one World yeah. Series because you probably should have won like 10, you know? Yeah, <laughs> arguably the greatest pitching rotation ever assembled in baseball, and they get one World Series. Like, and then yeah. in 99, when they're up two games to none, going in, uh, back to Atlanta against the Yankees and they blow wow. the series, that's just the encapsulation of the Atlanta Braves. <laughs> they had to be the Yankees, right? It had to be the Yankees, I know. of course. <laughs> yeah. Well. I I'm I feel you on the Royals because I'm an Oriole fan. So I was I was at every oh, yeah. game. I was at all the entire 2014 playoff run. I was there, and uh, and it was the Royals who swept us. It was terrible. Oh, I hate them. That's right. <laughs> oh, and who could be? You know, I so I grew up obviously in, in Silver Spring, Maryland, where I live now, and um and and I was an Orioles fan for the first seven years of my life. And my father worked for the uh, Library of Congress in D.C. He was the general counsel there. And every year he volunteered to do their ticket organization for everybody from the Library of Congress to go to an Orioles game because that was our home team, obviously. And um, because of that, like hundreds of people would get these tickets and he would get this award every year called the Heavy Hitter Award for ticket sales. So they would let him go on the field before the game and they would give out this baseball with a little trophy to the person who sold those tickets, you know, to the, and, and they would also let him do two other things. In the off season, he got to go to this winter VIP thing with some of the players. And every year they would allow one of his kids to throw out a ball or someone in his family. And I have eight brothers and sisters. I'm like one of the runs of the litters, but we have a lot, big family. Um, so everybody got to throw out a ball throughout the course of like 15 years. And I got to throw out my ball to Fred Lynn. Nice. <laughs> Fred, Lynn was on the, Fred Lynn was on the team then. And the Oriole bird would stand next to you. It was so cool. And he'd come back and take a picture with you. And, um, and I remember I was a big baseball card collector, big, big, big time into like 87, 88, 89. And uh, I went to go see, I knew Cal Ripken and his dad was coaching on the team and, and Bill Ripken was on the team then uh, before his fabulous Fleer baseball card. That's very famous. <laughs> and, uh, and we went to this winter uh, thing and, and uh, I went with 70 70 Cal Ripken Jr. baseball cards and I met him and I handed them to him. He sat there politely talking to somebody else he was with, just signing one after the other, after the other. And I had 70 cards. He didn't ask. He was like this late year old kid. He's like, I guess, all right, you know. But it was it was pretty awesome, you know. He's, he's, he was he was an awesome people person, Cal Ripken Jr. And probably still is, you know. Yes. I, I, I actually met Cal Ripken when I was 12 years old. <clears throat> I went to uh, – they just opened up the Ripken Experience in Myrtle Beach. And I was enrolled to go to like the inaugural like baseball camp that weekend. And I ended up like being able to eat lunch with Cal Ripken that weekend. He threw me bat and practice, which for a 12 year old who was a baseball fan was like a dream come true. And, but before I wasn't supposed to meet him until like the second day of the, uh, of the camp, but I've never been a very shy person. I, when I, the day it first started, he was standing talking to somebody off, uh, off the way a little bit. I ducked under the rope that we were not supposed to cross and walked up to him and said, Hey, Mr. Ripken, nice to meet you. <laughs> and like, he took time to shake my hand and everything. It was just like, he, he kind of uh, chuckled a little bit because I just I totally broke the rules and walked up to him. and was like, Hey, <laughs> I think Good dude, there's just, yeah. I think that some of these guys that just magic of like the kids doing something versus like when they see someone who's a teenager or like an old man, which is kind of creepy going up and doing something. <laughs> I think they, 
an old man goes up with like 70 baseball cards and like, who are you selling these to? This is pathetic. You know, forget about it. The kid goes up there like, I guess he has a lot of my cards. I don't know. Um, yeah. I, I don't know. Are, are you guys, are you all in the baseball a bit? Like, do you like baseball enough? Or I, Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. Have you ever gone, ever gone to spring training, any of you? No, I really want to. It my is, wife has is. gone and she left me behind. <laughs> oh, no. Probably because you took her to that concert, man. You got to play the music. Here they goes music first and explain why Townberg is such a great album. Explain why Rock and Roll Party is so awesome. Then you got it. Um, so uh, I went uh, with my dad. It was really nice. Uh, two or three years ago, we went down to uh, the Nats, where the Nats are. And they're uh, down there. They share a stadium with the Astros. Uh, and so they have a split st- for their practices outside the stadium. They split like the yard with them and it's brand, brand new, a couple years old. It's really nice. And the experience is so cool. If you have a kid, and I brought my son who at the time, I think was nine and, uh, maybe eight. Um, and it was the three of us and just, you know, he'd be running around there just like, Oh, look, there's Max Scherzer, you know, and Max Scherzer will give him a fist bump and walk by. And then Trey Turner stops and signs autographs and Juan Soto's there. And he's, you know, it's just, it's so cool because they'll go from doing a fielding practice and then half the team's doing pitching practice. And then they switch to go batting over here. They take a break for two hours and then play a game. So you go and you go down and you watch like maybe two games uh, and you can go and also set it up that, you know, a couple hours it's the Astros and then a couple hours it's the Nets. So you can go to both. Um, it was it was a really cool experience, and I think a lot of a lot of uh, teams do it like that. So whoever you're a fan of, you know, you can go down and just meet the players, and you get really close to them, and you take photos. So it was a cool experience. Yeah, yeah. Dustin and I uh, grew up spending a lot of time in the summers at Myrtle Beach. So mm-hmm. back at, they had a single A uh, ball club called the Myrtle Beach Pelicans out that way that uh, used to be affiliated with the Atlanta Braves. So we got to see a lot of like the the early 2000s to mid 2000s Braves players or the mid 2000s Braves players like uh, play in single A ball. It was pretty cool. We saw like Brian McCann and Jeff Francoeur and Marcus Giles. And then when they sent them down for like rehab assignments, when they were uh, coming off of injuries. So it, it was like, that was always a really cool experience to be able to see, see those guys. And then you see them a few years later, <laughs> ripping home runs over the fence on, on ESPN Sunday night baseball. It <laughs> is super cool. Didn't we in Wilmington, didn't, wasn't there a, like a, a minor league team that shared the stadium down there or, I feel like some, or maybe a club team or something. It was a, it was a collegiate team. The uh, oh, was the Sea Dogs, the Sharks, Sharks. the Sharks. Oh, Sharks. okay, yeah. yeah. And uh, I'm pretty sure uh, Clay Buckholz came through there one year before yep. the year he got drafted by the Red Sox. Yep. Oh yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I used to love going to those games because they were had dollar beer nights, and that was uh, in no way ah. a uh, way to stay sober. If you get my drift. <laughs> <laughs> It was a fun way to not. <laughs> they had a little I think patio. They still have them. Yeah, they do. They do. <laughs> it was well. So Dustin got married recently down in Wilmington, and the one of the first things I did it was during the summertime. One of the first things I did is look to see if they were going to have one of the Sharks games in town because I wanted to go to the dollar beer night with everyone, but uh, they did not. And also, in case you're wondering, it wasn't about me that weekend. <laughs> <laughs> Angle. Angle. If you remember the last, the last year we kind of went there, it got too like crowded on the dollar beer nights. It kind of got too popular for us to even get in there. Yeah, it was. You probably get maybe one or two beers the entire game, whereas back in the day you could get multiple beers. <laughs> Mark, was... 
Morgan, who you got there? This here is little Bridget. She was born. What? Born when? Two weeks ago. Oh, oh, congratulations. Look at that. Oh, hello. Hello, little Bridget. Oh, that's, oh man, I missed that phase. That is such a good phase. Is Is that your first, your first? No, it's my second. Another one, my son Brody, he's about, about to be 15 months. Oh, congratulations, man. That is fantastic. That's fantastic until you want to go to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> Morgan pulls you double duty. As I'm sure you know, these times they go quick, man. And and uh, I, I, my son is 11, my daughter's nine, and it seems like yesterday they were just babies. And you miss it. My little, my little sister Amy just had a kid, a little girl, recently, and you know, a month or two older than yours. And I went to see her the other day, and I was like, "Gosh, I miss this." Yeah, you know, and you think about it when it's happening, and you're like, "Oh, there's so much work, there's so much to do." But but then it goes away, and you're like, "Oh, I actually miss a diaper genie. Oh, I miss Pampers if I could get them." Expensive diapers. <laughs> I miss paying for all that formula. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or Similac or whatever it was called. <laughs> you know, the, the one thing I miss for Brody is you can't, he doesn't like to be held anymore. Uh, okay. I got to go, guys. All right. No worries. I'm probably, I got to run. See you later. Congratulations. Happy New Year. Thank you, Barry. It was awesome talking with you, man. Thank you. Thanks for having me. No, definitely, man. You guys have fun. See you more. All right, buddy. <clears throat> yes. He so what, Logan, what stadium, what stadium do we have behind you here? Logan? It's uh, Carter Finley Stadium. It's where I spend most of my, my Saturdays during the fall when there isn't a pandemic going on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Big, big NC State fan here. So I've had uh, – I think I've only missed – two home games in the last eight years, something like that. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Well, when I transferred up to Maryland, uh, we were in the ACC then. So, so we had you guys uh, as one of our guys and my wife is, she went to Chapel Hill. So, you know, I have that rivalry with her. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I forgot about I don't that. Know who, I mean, when we switched out ACC, I'm like, I guess I can support whoever from the ACC now, you know? So, yeah. Really? Yeah, Maryland was always a uh, a thorn in in state side because they like in the early 2000s and then once in 2010 Maryland was the school that they would beat state when state had a division championship on the line and state would end up finishing second or third in the division. <laughs> well, when I was in all right, so here's two quick story: a basketball and a football story. Uh, the year before I graduated was the year that Maryland won the championship in basketball, so that was a huge deal. Um, I mean, everybody went crazy and they did what everybody does, no matter what the sport is. They, some, for some reason, break into the football stadium and tear up the, the goalposts, right? <laughs> like, I don't know why everybody does that, but they do. And half of them set fire to it. You know, it could be hockey. And they're like, oh, we're going to the football field. We're going to tear this thing up. <laughs> um, so, so there was that. And then when, when I was in Maryland, I lived in a place called Seven Springs Apartments. is about two or three, three miles away from the campus. And I didn't have a car. I would bike to school every day. So it was snowing, it was raining, whatever. If it was raining. I would bring a separate pair of clothes in a bag, in my book bag, and bike through the nastiness and then change in the bathroom. Um, 
But uh, I, the path I used to take every day around this, it was beautiful. It would go back through this, these two golf courses and under this little bridge and then you were on campus. Um, and I, I, you know, it, it was calming because if you had a crappy day, you, you'd bike home a couple miles and you felt all right by the time you got back to your apartment. So I, I was okay with it. Um, but the point was when, when Maryland started getting a little bit better at football, which was a year after I left in Phrygian, right? Ralph Phrygian, I guess, was the coach. Yep. He came in, right? And uh, he, uh, he was kind of turning things around. Um, we had a tornado hit just outside of DC and it went along the Northern part of the University of Maryland's campus in College Park. And the path it took was almost exactly the path that I would bike home every day. And I had graduated a couple couple months earlier. So I remember it hit and the team was out doing some practices, the football team. Um, and the coach like just started booking and somebody said in the Maryland newspaper, I'd never seen a big, a guy that big run so fast. <laughs> it was like, it was like, it was amazing. And, and, and I just remember looking at like in, in the Washington Post, cause they had this picture on the cover of the post the day after of the Capitol in the background, a tornado off to the left side of it over near where College Park was. And I was like, wow, look at that. It's crazy because you never had tornadoes like that when I was, when I was a kid in Silver Spring or anywhere near there. Um, and then I looked at the, they had a little map tracing where it went along the campus and it went right over where I was biking and it was happening at the exact time that I would usually bike home. And I was like, man, I could, I'm just trying to imagine like me, if it had come a little earlier, like, you know, going through that woods and be like, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> Lucky guy. <laughs> be like the twister scene. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I'd have to go tie myself to a well or something with Helen Hunt. I don't know. It goes so well. Well, what's what's your favorite sports moment? I mean, you're talking about Maryland, you're talking about Nats. Uh, well, I mean, it's tough to when they won the World Series because when I became a Nats fan, I went hardcore. And I, about the time my son was born, I decided I shouldn't be a Royals fan anymore. Not just because they were terrible for so long, but because they were a fresh new team in the area, and I was like, it'd be good to bring my son up with a local baseball team. And I mean, we could have done the Orioles, you know, but. Um, I was a Royals fan and the Royals weren't much different at the time. So I was like, let's go with someone new, you know, fresh faces. I like Montreal, you know, it's a good, it's a win-win. So, um, yeah, I mean, when we went like three or four times and just like lost in these heartbreak scenarios, when they finally won in 2019, it was such a nice experience, you know, having, having and been, been more and more in, uh, invested with them just from playing performances with them and being friends with the marketing department there and doing all these things, it meant even more. Um, so that was a big one. And I'm, I mean, I'm, a, I'm really big into swimming, as I mentioned. I mean, I coach for NCAP, which is a, a, a DC area um, club team, USA Swimming. I mean, we have Katie, Katie Ledecky was one of our uh, products and she's fantastic um we have a lot of other great swimmers who've come through there jack conger who's an olympian um and we've got some great ones coming up um so uh i'm, I'm very big into swimming and, and i really enjoy you know watching that and seeing what's developing in that um i think probably one of the coolest races to watch was in 2008 when phelps was going for his eight golds and he was on that relay with um Oh, Lezak. Jason Lezak was the uh, the reason why he got his golds because he he went last and his split time was a good half second faster than the world record. And he had to do it because when he dove in the water, I think it was the French team. I think it was France. They were ahead by a good amount. And he had he had caught up the literally the last length. He was behind by half a body length and 
you know, these guys are elite. They're the best of the best, you know, and yeah. the anchor in a swimming relay is the fastest one traditionally. So, the so Ryan would be the slowly. anchor. Ryan would absolutely be the anchor. <laughs> I kept my mouth shut about Jack Conger. I kept my mouth shut about a lot of people. <laughs> I'm just letting you tell the story. <laughs> if USA swimming, if USA swimming had had known that Ryan wanted to swim in that relay, it would have been no question. It wouldn't have been Lee Zach at the end. It would have been Ryan, and he would have been there with a beer in his hands in his speedo, yep. just like you know, kind of picking his ear. And then when you know whoever it was that was the third length came in, he would have just kind of casually dove in, and that would have been it. It would have been done. It would have been over. He would have no worries. You know? Phelps would have already been putting the gold on his neck before Ryan dove in because he knew Ryan was there. <laughs> I mean, the fact that I even know where I was, I was at Morgan's house in Wrightsville Beach watching the race, and I was yeah. ready to tell everybody about how, oh, oh, his streamline was terrible coming off the wall. Oh, he's definitely going to lose a quarter of a second. Beer in hand, of course, probably probably liquor, let's be honest. And uh, just <laughs> explaining how everybody, oh, his turn, his turnover rate was just too low. Oh, he's clearly taking a breath. He's, he's totally, totally waxed. So, yeah, I was there in spirit. I was there in spirit cheering everyone along. Screaming USA yeah. from the from the porch balcony. I've contributed a lot. I you could have done a lot more by making the team, Ryan, because I think you would have made it easier on them. You know, I mean, I think of the uh, the hard problems that Phelps probably had waiting for that Lezak finish. You know, and, and that for people who aren't in the swimming world, um, it, you know, to to understand how remarkable it was what Phelps did back then. I mean, you know, obviously he's the greatest Olympian of all time, but like, but that and then his butterfly race, where if you watch that finish and if you go to the Swimming Hall of Fame, I mean, I don't know if you would go, it's down in Florida, <laughs> in Fort Lauderdale, but but they have this whole display and, and they show in slow motion his finish. And it was just the other guy like kind of glided in and Phelps took this, this pull in his butterfly that just had these amazingly long arms and just, just got him by like this much. I mean, it was over. It was over. He wasn't going to win. And and if you watch this thing in slow motion, it's just insanity. And you're like, between that and the Lezak finish, it's like, it could have gone any other way so close, you know? So, so those things, I know I sound like a total geek about it because I grew up with this. And so that's why I am, I mean, you know, I for, forgive me for that, but, but, um, <laughs> I, I'll deviate back to Ryan there. Ryan, hearing you explain about turnover rates and catches and pulls makes me think you should be coaching, man. Phil, what I was saying is uh, we've been to the Swimming Hall of Fame in Fort Lauderdale. We literally went the same way, the same day we went to the elbow room. They're literally like across the street from each other. <laughs> Wait, did that, we, yeah, was that the one time that I went before I went with my family? Yeah, we did go together, didn't we? No, I've been to the elbow room with you, but elbow room yes. is literally across the street from the Swimming Hall of Fame, which I've been to. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. I, okay. Cause I remember, uh, yes, I remember that. And, and w- I went down there with my family about a year and a half ago and I was like, yeah, I've been here before. And I know it was on one of those trips, but I knew that the band didn't go. So you and I didn't actually go in there. We just went to the elbow room. Right. We went to the elbow room after you guys, you guys must've done something. I forget if, if it was a show in Miami or a show in South beach or something like that. And then we ended up in the elbow room. I forget exactly why a lot of that trip's pretty blurry. uh, I think we can piece it together with the two of us because memories are coming back now. So yeah, it's, it's not the world's best hall of fame. It's actually very old and they're remodeling it and they have a pool there uh, outside at it that they're remodeling as well. But but a couple world records were set at that pool. I I remember they have this plaque outside, but it is right next to this bar we went to called the elbow room. 
And it's funny how everything comes full circle. We were talking about Eminem at the beginning of this. I remember they were playing Eminem's album <laughs> um, at that elbow room because we were playing pool. And, and and this song Cinderella Man came on. I was like, I like this song. I was like, it's, <laughs> so anyway, there's there's the full circle back to Eminem. But uh, yeah, we were coming up from Miami and I'll never forget this because we went into Mango's, I think, okay. that club down there on South Beach. And you did the whole video about when LeBron James did his, his uh, speech about going to bring his talents to South Beach and you put it online. You were like, hey, this is Ryan Angle. Just want to let you guys know I'm going to down to Florida with the band. I'm bringing my talents to uh, South Beach. <laughs> and so anyway, I remember we walked out of Mango's. It's like one in the morning and there was a shoe store next door. And I was altered states. And um, I remember thinking, this is amazing. A shoe store is open. I'm going to buy some shoes. And I did. And I think I paid far too much for some shoes late at night. And I wondered the next day how many times they get people like that. They stumble out of a bar, a little bit in other sorts. And they're like, I bet they'll buy shoes. I'm going to put some Converse out here. Right on the strip in South. That we right down the, if I remember correctly, right down the street from the Clevelander. So, yeah, I think we, I think we either wandered down there or looked at it. It was interesting because later I went back with these guys and we went down to Miami and I, I told them, um, coming from the airport, we flew into Fort Lauderdale and I was like, Hey, we got to stop at this bar. You guys got to check this bar out. It's a really cool place. So we ended up actually going back to the elbow room based on, on us going in <laughs> previously. <laughs> So. I went by it with my like with my kids, but I didn't go in. <laughs> about, about a year. <laughs> yeah, something else. Uh, all right. Well, Logan, do you want to jump into like a lightning round here at the end, or let's 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 do it? I, I don't know what it means, but I'm all for it. Let's figure it out. <laughs> all right. <laughs> It'll be easy. <laughs> yeah. So normally, like, uh, and I say normally for our two guests we've had now on Miserable and Reckless, we like to end things with a lightning round where we ask just like a, um, just sometimes they're about like just random things and we want to get your answer, like without having to think about it too much. Just like we'll ask you a question, we'll pass it around and you just give us a quick answer. So if you're ready, we will begin one, the Miserable and Reckless. Yep. Is it a one word answer? Uh, no, it can be or, just like a, a one or two sentences, just like kind of like a short Short answer to it. Oh, sure. Okay. All right. So uh, when you're on tour, what van jams do you listen to going from show to show? Oh, man. Uh, well, again, it would probably be one of my favorite acts, which is always, yes, Pink Floyd and Rush. I'm, I'm an old soul from in my brain. <laughs> Too old for me. Uh, of newer acts, I kind of like this band. That well, this band that came out about twenty years ago called the Kaiser Chiefs. I like Keen. Um, uh, I used to like Brandy Carlisle a lot. I was really into her first couple albums. So, yeah, I guess right. it would be those. Yeah. Um, so, are you more of a, a beer, liquor, or wine guy? These days, I think it's become wine. wine. Um, I got. I got to tell you the truth. I. Uh, I. I don't drink a whole lot anymore. I don't know if it's just when you start working with children a lot, like I coach with them a lot, I, I something happens and you're like, yeah, I probably shouldn't do that so much. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but, uh, but, uh, but it's nice to get together with friends every now and then, have a wine. Yeah. So uh, my next question is probably, based on that answer, probably you'll have to go back to the old days then. What's your favorite late night drunk fast food spot? Oh, oh boy. All right. Uh, well, in, in Wilmington, 
Yeah, it had to be the Perkins when it was around because it was one of the only things that was open. So you go to Perkins. <laughs> um, I mean, I'm a huge fan of PT's Bar and Grill, but they were never open late. I mean, I would go there around the clock, man. I love PT. I've never had fries like at PT's and their burgers are amazing. So I can go there and eat them around the clock. Yeah, PT's uh, is great. Yeah, man. And then, well, in, in, in College Park, it, it, it was at Denny's, unfortunately, because that's all you had. Yeah, you, you had this <laughs> other weird guy on the street, but it was, you know, if Denny's wasn't skeptical enough, this <laughs> that diner was. So, yeah. <laughs> It's a very California. It was the Silver Diner, and that's what you had, you know. So Silver Diner in high school, Wilmington was Perkins, and then maybe you'd go to Walmart. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and then in College Park you had the Denny's. So, you know. <laughs> All right. And here's my last question before I throw it to the other guys. If you could play with any artist, dead or alive, who would it be? Oh, yeah, it'd be either David Gilmore from Pink Floyd or Trevor Rabin from Yes. And that, I mean, I'm sorry for <laughs> those answers. <laughs> but those are the guys that have my biggest influences when it comes to playing guitar. So, uh, so yeah, I, I really, really like what they do. Good deal. All right, guys, if you want to have answer, ask your questions. Yeah. Um, vinegar barbecue, mustard barbecue, or Kansas City barbecue? Ooh, man. Uh, I would say I, I, maybe Kansas City. Kansas City barbecue. Going back to that Royals fandom. <laughs> it might be something to do with that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sides to go to that barbecue. What are your two go-to? Uh, well, you're going to have to have uh, some coleslaw. Um, uh, and I guess I would say, okay, so barbecue, you know, I'd always have it on a, on a sandwich, I think. And I have coleslaw and I probably have some fries with it. All right. Is that the wrong answer? What would your answer be? <laughs> well, I'm from North Carolina, so it'd be east. It'd be <laughs> Eastern North Carolina vinegar vinegar style. based, yeah. And then mac and cheese and collard greens. There you go. Yeah, mac and cheese. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> um, only could listen to one album for the rest for a full year, and it was on repeat. What would you pick? Oh man. Uh, oh boy. I no matter what, no matter how much you love it, you're gonna get sick of it. Um, <laughs> so. <laughs> Uh, maybe Rush's Hold Your Fire or Presto or uh, Yes's 90125, maybe. Maybe, you know. I'd, yeah. I'd get sick of them, though. I'd get sick of them. Oh, right yeah, there. 100%. Now, I liked all the Rush answers. I, I like Rush, so. Oh, good. <laughs> Angle. Angle, you turned into a mime again. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, outrageous, man. There you are. The one time I bring a buddy on is when my audio sucks. It's oh, never man. happened before. This is the best. Yeah. <laughs> Just move your mouth and I'll go like this. Oh, you got how to fill. Um, you, uh... I'm the All fastest right. swimmer okay. alive. <laughs> <laughs> acoustic or electric, Phil? Oh, uh, boy. Uh, I, I say acoustic just because you can do a, a lot with it and more, in my opinion. Uh, I love electric, don't get me wrong, uh, but I feel like you get really finicky about pedals and amps, and nobody's ever happy. Even I feel like even the best guitarists in the world are always trying new things. And with the acoustic, if you can get kind of a right solid tone and just some EQs, it's, it's usually okay. A little bit of compression, but electric, 
I've always been this way too. Like I'll have a whole pedal board and then I'm like, uh, I love this for a month. And then you're like, this thing sucks. I got to get something else. And you're just constantly going through pedals. And then you're like, I don't know about this amp anymore. It's not big enough or it doesn't sound right or the tubes are weird. So you get really picky about tone. Uh, it's something you probably can hone, hone in more when you're in the studio, but live, every venue is different. So it gets really weird. Um, that's why. I, for no other reason than that. I think they're both necessary in music, but I sure. go with acoustic. What's your favorite acoustic that you play? I have a Martin uh, GPC, which is uh, kind of like a, a Taylor body. It's a bigger body okay. than their normal flow. And that's one of my favorites of all time. I've had that one for about 12 years. And then I have a, I have a, uh, a Maton, which is this Australian guitar, which is really cool. And, and I, have, I won't take it out. I just leave it in the studio because I'm really worried about it. It's a newer one, but I love its tone too. It's, it's different than the Martin. Uh, I used to play Taylor's a lot. I have a Taylor nylon, which is really nice. Um, and then I've got all the things with mandolins, yeah. ukuleles. Oh, yeah. So. Yeah, I play a Taylor. Yeah, so that's why I ask. Like, um, I, I love the – the Taylor kind of has like a, a brighter – sound almost than some of the others um but i really do want to one day get a martin's so i was curious as to what you played well taylor's i was only a taylor guy forever and ever because i feel like their guitars are more i mean you know not to knock martin's but they make really beautiful designs i love the bigger body uh but about i don't know 12 or 13 years ago they switched from fishman pickups to their own pickups and when you were doing an acoustic electric, I, I just didn't like the pickup as much. It was a little bit thinner to me. So even when I switched to Martin, I still had to mimic their body and get the biggest body Martin had for a guitar. And, and Martin's pickups, I just, I like better because they're the same ones Taylor used to have. I would have never switched <laughs> other than that, you know. Uh, my, my, my nylons Taylor still has a Fisherman pickup in it and I love it because I'm like, here's a Taylor, you know. Yeah, that's right. nerd. That's guitar nerd right there. So, <laughs> <laughs> last last question for you: Would you rather play a stadium show like RFK or an intimate night like at the Irish Whisper or something like that? Well, that's an easy one. I mean, if okay, if you're if you're at the Irish Whisper, uh, and well, which by the way isn't around anymore. It's something else now. It's like a Italian restaurant or something. But uh, if you're there. And you had like a hundred people that loved what you were doing and the sound was just right. I think it would be more, it might be more fun. But if you're at a big stadium, like, like when we were at the Bayside Expo Center in Boston or something like that, and you're opening for like the mighty boss tones and it's like insane, that's just a great feeling, you know, and you're on a huge system where you just say hello and it's like, oh, oh. <laughs> so it's a lot different than being on two QSC powered speakers. Um, so, but then again, it's about the crowd, really. You know, I wouldn't want to be at a little bar playing to no one, though, even though sometimes you have to do that. So, so I think the bigger thing would always be better, you know. But if they hated me, that would be real bad. So. <laughs> <laughs> Find the good in both, Ryan. That's what I said. So I, le I leave you with that advice. You know, there's good in both. There's good playing next to a golden tea machine, and there's good playing on a big, huge stadium somewhere. <laughs> That's a, good, that's a good way to put a period on 2020. That yeah. is nice. Yes, yes, yes. Let's just be happy we're here and breathing and doing something. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I feel very fortunate to be able to be 42 and have made, having made a living within music, you know, for so long. So uh, if I can keep doing that the rest of my life, I think I'll be very, you know, grateful and, and happy and, you know, consider myself lucky regardless of what comes from it. You are plug your uh your your stuff or your how to stream your album or anything the, the freestyle booking and events i mean sure. so uh 
Okay, so I put out this album. Remember, see, actually, I have CDs. You remember those? If any of you guys have a CD player, this, uh, I put this one out in October, and I worked on it for about four years. Um, but it was on and off. And then when when the COVID came along uh, and everything was shut down, it gave me a lot of time to kind of finish it and do like eight million other studio things. Um, but I'm pretty proud of it. You know, I did all the instruments on it. I recorded and mixed it all myself and did all the vocals. So usually I'll collaborate. And this one is just kind of a labor of love. Um, it's on all streaming platforms and iTunes and everything. So it's all under Phil Kaminsky. I know it's a, a handful of a, of a last name, very Polish, K-O-M-I-N-S-K-I. And then uh, my, my newer band with my wife is called The Breakaways. Um, and the funny thing is there's probably been like 20 Breakaways bands, but it was the name we settled on. And uh, that, that features a lot of musicians uh, from the DC area who were doing other things with other bands, really talented guys. Um, we've got a Chris Burr, Brooks on piano, and he's in a great band called Lion Eyes. Um, we've got uh, Jacob Panic, who's just a fantastic banjo player. He's sick and really talented. Uh, great trumpet player named Joe Brotherton. Uh, excellent violinist, Javier Godinez, who I used to be in the old version of the old band that I was in. Uh, and Michael Scoglio, bass, another bassist, Daniel Gallagher. Um, and all these guys have their own projects. And the whole, the whole point of the band was really uh, to make it very easy for everybody like hey i love playing with you guys you're awesome musicians uh but you know i understand that you've got other things going on too so we won't ever won't ever make you be at a gig or do this if you can do it do it you know and then we have some backup guys we work with um another great pianist ellington carthens part of it it's uh it's it's been a blast we only we only got to do one show before everything got shut down but we had so many books and all these fun things coming up so it'll be, we'll be doing fun stuff with them when things go back to normal and uh and yeah and the album I, I hope you'll check it out i mean um it's you know R ryan was nice he said he liked it <laughs> you know what, what what a good friend you know but you know he, he he's been really good about it he's he's he ryan's really into music i mean he you know, I know he loves his sports and his music, and um, but uh, he he knows what he's talking about when it comes to music, and uh, and I it, hearing a compliment from him means a lot to me. So, thank you. <laughs> no worries, man. I'll be waiting for your nationals outbursts on Facebook. That's the highlight of my summer usually. Watching the nationals, <laughs> watching the nationals do something and crap away a win, and then I just log right into Facebook, search for Phil, and there it is in all capitals. <laughs> <laughs> right. What is wrong with these guys? <laughs> so, no. catch. <laughs> uh, you've been you've been a buddy for years. I appreciate you coming on here. And uh, the new album is 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 legit. It's good. It's it was a, it was a real pleasure to listen to when I, we didn't have a whole lot else going on this year. So good on you. Thank you, sir. Appreciate that. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. Thank you all for having me having me on. You know, you have a great thing going here. It's just going to build and build and build and uh, keep it up, you know? Yeah, we hope so. And thanks again for taking the time to, uh, to sit in with us here on our special New Year's Eve edition of Miserable and Reckless. So for uh, Ryan, Dustin, Phil, and Morgan somewhere rocking his baby to sleep, I'm Logan. And we'll ho we hope that 2021 brings everyone a lot better year than we had in 2020. So we'll see you next time. Happy New Year. <laughs>